Here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 116 entitled Outlaws. First, though, a quick shout out uh, to the Keys to Lost podcast. Uh, it uh, gives a musical background to the show, uh, obviously uh, involving the Michael Giacchino scores for uh, for each episode. Um, it's in depth without being foreign to those without a music theory background. Uh, I actually had discovered it, um, uh, when, uh, on the, uh, Lost Podcasting Network, uh, it actually, uh, the latest episode to Keys to Lost was posted right after mine was posted and I was, you know, uh, a bit curious about it. And I see too that, uh, Keys to Lost is done by a guy named Matt who loves Lost and has a musical background, which is kind of, uh, coincidental since I'm a guy named Matt and I love Lost and I have a, uh, a literature background which is uh, largely the, the, the take uh, that I have toward my podcast. So um, I actually uh, sent the keys to Lost Matt a little email and said, you know, he somehow was the other Matt and I'm, I'm sure I'm his other Matt. So uh, a, a bit of strange otherness out there or, or we're back to the twin theory of season two, et cetera, et cetera. But anyhow, check out Keys to Lost. Uh, he or, or He's found at keystolost.com and also on the Lost Podcasting Network, which is, uh, most of you probably know about since most of you are getting looking back at Lost from the Lost Podcasting Network. Anyhow, moving on, uh, I just wanted to share a little listener feedback. Um, <laughs> coincidentally, this is from another guy named Matt. Uh, separate from Keys to Lost, separate from me, um, but uh, that Matt had uh, asked me about the background music that I used for my uh, little call for recap readers that I sent out a few weeks ago, um, and I told him that it's a loop from GarageBand called Galleria Long, so if you're interested, there you go. Uh, Matt also went on to say uh, the following, quote, I always enjoy your music choices and have been having a blast following the rewatch. I'll keep listening as long as you keep making them. So thank you very much, uh, other other Matt, uh, for uh, that vote of confidence there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in for the long haul here. We're at episode 116, so 16 down, down and uh, let's see, 104 or 5 to go. So yeehaw. With that, let's get into the summary of the episode. Uh, I'll be reading it today, although I certainly was inspired by uh, what Marty sent in last week for his, uh, you know, he had volunteered to read the summary. So let's get a little bit of background music going. In the flashbacks, Sawyer on Island has a nightmare. So again, it's like a sneaky way for them to do a flashback because it's a nightmare. Uh, in the dream, his father forces his way into the house, kills his mother, sits on the bed that child Sawyer is hiding under, and kills himself. Elsewhere in the flashbacks, a former associate named Hibbs 
played by Robert Patrick of Terminator 2 fame, tells Sawyer that the real Mr. Sawyer, who ruined his life as a child, is now living under the alias Frank Duckett in Australia. Sawyer travels there, buys a gun, and goes to the shrimp shop where Duckett works. He chats with him briefly, but doesn't kill him. Sawyer goes to an Australian bar and happens to meet Christian Shepard. Christian Shell tells Sawyer some people are meant to suffer, and that's why the Red Sox will never win the series. He says he wishes he had the strength to call his son, and says how proud he is of his son, and uh, he wishes that the call could fix everything, but he is too weak to do it. Christian tells Sawyer to fix the thing that's making him feel bad. Ultimately, Sawyer shoots Frank Duckett, but Frank realizes, uh, pardon me, Frank denies being the real Sawyer, telling Sawyer he owed Hibbs money. Sawyer realizes this is the real reason Hibbs sent him after Duckett. Duckett tells Sawyer it'll come back around. On the island, Sawyer wakes up to find a giant boar in front of him, and it attacks his tent and runs away into the trees, taking Sawyer's tarp with him. Sawyer chases after it. While he's in the jungle, he hears whispering. A louder whisper says it'll come back around. Sawyer is obsessed with finding the boar that attacked him and goes into the jungle with Kate to find it. During a drinking game of I Never, Kate reveals to Sawyer that she's killed a man. The next morning, the two of them wake up to find that Sawyer's belongings have been ruined while Kate's remain untouched. John Locke joins them and tells them his sister died very young and their foster mother blamed herself, suffering a, a severe depression. But a few months later, a dog came into the house, house without tags or collar. The dog slept in her sister's room, but when his mother died years later, the dog vanished. Locke alludes his mother believed the dog was his sister, who came back to tell her that her death wasn't her fault. Sawyer catches up to the boar and decides not to kill it, and gives Jack his gun. Now all the firearms are with Jack, who locks them back in the marshal's case. They start to talk, and Jack says, that's why the Sox will never win the series. Sawyer realizes Christian is Jack's father, but does not tell Jack that he met Christian. And with that, dear listeners, let's get to my thoughts about the episode. Uh, this episode, of course, uh, opens with an eye shot, this time from the point of view of young Sawyer. Uh, it certainly is a frightening opening, uh, particularly from the point of view of a child. Um, this scene could appear with very little modification, I think, uh, in a horror movie or a suspense movie. Um, it's just excellent tension in the air as they, uh, uh, you know, in terms of how it's shot, produced, lit, etc. Um, and there's also a quick transition um, showing that indeed it wasn't a, a flashback in the normal sense of the show uh, as much as it was a horrible nightmare of Sawyer's. Um, so they kind of get two for one here. They get the flashback device, but also um, they're able to, to jolt uh, we, the audience, and jolt Sawyer awake back into the on-island story. So well done, guys. Uh, moving on, it's the this episode has the return of the whispers, uh, which are creepier than ever since it's uh, at night. I believe the last time we heard them was also the first time, which was uh, Saeed uh, escaping from Danielle's uh, little hovel thing. Um, and at the time, it, it certainly wasn't you know the middle of day, but um, now it's proper night, so it's uh, it's certainly a bit more um, a bit more scary. Um, and it's also an excellent opening to the episode as well. It's a relevant flashback and then a great on-island hook. Um, and speaking of those whispers, let's take a quick little listen to them, then discuss. Oh, 
So indeed, creepy as always. Um, the one thing I'm not entirely clear on, though, is um, what exactly are they in this episode? Now, uh, of course, uh, as the series wrapped up, as we had uh, Michael appear as the spirit, uh, it was confirmed once and for all that the the whispers are the uh, oh the the trapped spirits on the island, those not ready to to move on to the to the afterlife, to the next world, etc. But this business of uh, the one whisper saying it'll come back around, what exactly does that mean? I mean, to me, that's different uh, in terms of how I recall uh, other uh, other instances of the whispers that have yet to come. Um, is that particular whisper, is that Sawyer's guilt? Is it Frank Duckett on the island? Uh, what exactly is it meant to be? Um, I mean, I don't really have an answer. I, I, I would have to, I'd have to think back. Uh, I mean, I'm not aware of people whispering on the island who haven't been there at all, right? Um, certainly, I mean, again, I don't think that there's tons and tons of evidence out there to to definitively answer the nature of the whispers uh, beyond it being uh, people trapped, uh, you know, spirits trapped on the island. But even in that definition you got to be on the island and Duckett clearly died in Australia. So if you put a gun to my head and said, what do I think it is? I think that it's the real whispers. And then perhaps on top of it is Sawyer's guilt timed coincidentally to uh, this flashback episode, coincidentally, obviously in quotes. Um, So there you go. Anyhow, moving on. Uh, It's an interesting experience seeing Robert Patrick as Sawyer's shady friend. Robert Patrick never quite had the career I think he thought he was going to have after the success of Terminator 2. And certainly in watching this, it's like the minute that that light turns on uh, in the flashback, um, interrupting Sawyer from uh, partaking in the uh, the joys of the bedroom with uh, his young lady friend. It's like, oh, there's Robert Patrick, there's the T-1000, and it's like, ooh, the years have... The years have moved on. I mean, it's not that he looks terribly beat up by the years, but you figure Terminator 2 was 1992, and this episode is airing in uh, probably January or February 2005. Let me just take a quick peek here. Yeah, aired February 16th, 2005. So just one of these things, because he because he had uh, that one moment in the, in the sun so brightly, uh, it's kind of etched in the memories of many people, uh, certainly myself, as, uh, as the T-1000. But anyhow, we can save that for the Looking Back at Terminator podcast that uh, someone else can do because it won't be me. Anyhow, let's uh, get back to the show Lost. Uh, I feel like after the awesome on-island story last week, what with Ethan returning, being killed, just that tremendously amazing, amazing episode, this episode felt flipped from the beginning. The Sawyer revenge story I find tremendously interesting. Um, it, it, it's it, it's subtle. It's got twists and turns. There's meeting the Christian uh, meeting Christian at the bar. Uh, there's the, the notion of the, the the tortured soul. Frankly, you understand to a very very large degree Sawyer's determination to kill the real Mister Sawyer after you see uh, the carnage that the real Mister Sawyer caused on on uh, Sawyer's family. So you understand where he's coming from and you know would we all make the same decision i don't know but certainly in in tv land as you're sitting at home eating your popcorn watching this episode you, 
you're saying, yeah, kill the kill the jerk that did this to your family. Um, so that's all tremendously interesting. Whereas the after effect of Ethan on island and the you know and how it's affecting life at camp, that's just it's just kind of a little bit of a boring bit to the episode. It's there's not really a whole lot going on. And I understand every episode can't be, you know, Ethan returns uh, to to capture Claire and Ethan gets shot, but it's just I don't know. It's like it's like the after effect. It's the the sigh of relief, but sighs are a lot less interesting than gasps. If you pardon the uh, rather strange metaphor there, um, so there is certainly a bit of darkness to this episode. I guess that's that's the long and short of what I'm saying. Uh, luckily, though, it's broken up by the, the the Charlie and Hurley comedy hour. So take a listen. Hurley, I appreciate the help. You don't have to. I killed Ethan. I can bury him. Yeah. Until he rises from the dead. Dude, I know how this works. This is gonna end with you and me running through the jungle, screaming and crying. It catches me first because I'm heavy and I get cramps. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's just uh, two of your funnier actors given given some funny stuff to do. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, uh, is this the origin of the the jokingly rumored season seven zombie season. I don't, I don't know, but uh, I mean, I suppose too, it's kind of acknowledging um, the edges of the show in that. It, I mean, it's a ridiculous thought. Now it was ridiculous thought then of, uh, you know, zombie Ethan rising from the grave and chasing people. But I mean, I, I think they're kind of eliminating areas that the show won't go with that bit of humor. They're saying, yes, there's, mysterious monsters and yes there's uh perhaps a supernatural element and you know yes 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 but here's here's where we're not going to go so um again aside from any story function it's just uh it's just fun um that said this this episode overall doesn't really feature razor sharp dialogue uh as evidenced by the sawyer and kate game of i never it lacks well, it just kind of lacks anything interesting, frankly, in my opinion, uh, beyond the charm of two actors. I know I'll, at the, towards the end of the podcast, I'll share uh, feedback from a, from a listener who would disagree. But in that scene, nothing really, you know, the, the scene does nothing really to advance the plot, does nothing to give us anything beyond cursory background information, uh, some of which we knew, uh, certainly about Kate. Uh, and frankly, it does nothing to keep me interested in the scene. Um, at least I knew that with the length of that scene, it would make for a somewhat smaller podcast. Not that that's something I, I hope for, but I'm just saying, okay, it'll be that much, that much less work to focus on, uh, you know, perhaps preparing for next week's episode 117. Um, it just goes on and on. I mean, the, it, that scene just really goes on and on. Um, and similarly, same thing with the scene that I referenced in the summary, of uh, Locke telling the story of the golden retriever who appears after his sister's death. I was hoping that that, uh, that that speech would have the same gravitas as Locke's Michelangelo speech a few uh, episodes ago, you know, regarding uh, Michelangelo sitting and looking at the block of marble and uh, why am I just sitting here? Ludovico or whatever it is, I am working. It's just the writing in this episode falls a bit flat. Perhaps that all, certainly the on island stuff. Um, Perhaps that's the same. Perhaps it's the same flatness for uh, for the flashback 
and the 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 surroundings and the acting of uh, acting on the part of uh, Sawyer and all that. Perhaps it just elevates it to a point that it's not not obvious. But I don't know. I'm not I'm not keen uh, for the on island story on this episode. Whereas I loved uh, the flashback. I mean, it's shocking that the flashback are the flashbacks are better than the on island story. That is usually not the case. Usually you want to see that your character is going, 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 and what are they doing lost or at the minute that somebody cocks a gun or says, you know, well let me look in there, they then go to a flashback and you're just saying, Oh my goodness, you know, this this love hate relationship I have with the show. Not this episode. Bring on the flashbacks. Uh, Sawyer seeing the presumed Mr. Sawyer for the first time it's just a wonderfully set location, this rather sad-looking shrimp truck, which, of course, makes two things, shrimp with mild sauce and shrimp with hot sauce. Um, the actor that they have playing uh, Frank Duckett, who's the presumed Mr. Sawyer, aside from the fact that I unfortunately recognized him from uh, being forced to watch some episodes of Grey's Anatomy at various points, um, He's just, I mean, so, so fine. Sometimes you recognize him, a la Robert Patrick, the T-1000, and that's all you can see. In this episode, he's great. This guy playing Frank Duckett is great. He just carries this, you know, I mean, when he's delivering this bit of line, you know, uh, shrimp with mild sauce or shrimp with hot sauce, it's like he hardly cares that he has a customer. Not that he's rude in any way as a food service uh, worker or, or this sort of thing. But he just has this, I mean, you just feel like he's somebody who's on the tail end of a rough life. Uh, not, I'm not saying close to death, even though, you know, he is because he's going to be shot. I'm not saying he's some decrepit old man or beaten up by life. But it's just somebody, he's seen this crap everywhere. He's seen, you can't tell him anything that's going to throw him for a loop. And he's just cool living out by his shrimp truck, uh, making shrimp with mild sauce and shrimp with hot sauce. And he's not hardly even going to look the... the uh, the, the customer, in this case Sawyer, look him in the eye because it's just like, you know, different different shrimp, different or same shrimp, different day, this sort of thing. It's just wonderful. Anyhow, I know I'm going on and on about this. As a side note, I'm proud that I haven't called him a shrimping boat captain yet because I for the entire time I kept saying, oh, it's the shrimp boat. He's the shrimping boat captain. No, no, it's Lieutenant Dan, different thing. Anyhow, another wonderful part of the flashbacks. Uh, there's the scene of Sawyer mulling over his own situation in the bar, only to meet Christian Shepard, the mean, angry, drink himself to death Christian Shepard. I drink to you. What's your name, cowboy? Sawyer. To Sawyer. May he find whatever he's looking for at the bottom of a glass. So, Sawyer, what brings you to Sydney? You know why they call Australia down under, don't you? Because it's as close as you can get to hell without being burned. There was so much from the, the Christian bar uh, scene. Uh, I mean, I almost was, you know, I, I didn't want to uh, capture too much and, and share it as a clip. But uh, it, it was just great. I mean, it, it's great acting on his part, great acting on Sawyer's part. Um, we certainly get to see um, we could see the flip side of of uh, you know the whole Christian in Australia story we get to see his uh, his guilt and his remorse and also his um, acceptance of his own uh, demons and his own addiction because um, here he is you know unable to pick up the phone and say thank you son 
I love you, son. Uh, he, he's instead just content uh, to, to wallow in his own, uh, you know, his own addiction, his own troubles. Um, uh, and that, that line there of uh, you know, how, how awful Sydney is or how awful Australia is, I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's just rude. That's, the, uh, that's the, the ugly American abroad uh, uh, stereotype perpetuated, et cetera, et cetera. But um, they're just, they're, it's, they're, they're, they're great scenes. They're wonderful scenes. Um, and of course, Christian's seize the moment spirit, uh, you know, something he's unable to do, that then encourages Sawyer to finally get his revenge, which is just this lovely, lovely literary twist. Um, here, Christian is saying, I am incapable of seizing the moment to fix my problem. And what's his problem? Get over alcohol and or uh, share his appreciation and love and admiration to his son. So Christian is saying, seize the moment. He's saying, I'm, I'm down here and I wish I could seize the moment to move up there. Well, what effect does that have on Sawyer? Sawyer hears that. It becomes twisted towards, um, towards I'm... I'm, I'm down here. I need to reach lower. I need to kill a man in order to exercise my demons, not embrace uh, love and clear-headedness. I need to embrace uh, rage and, and, and revenge uh, in order to get rid of my demon and seize the moment. So it's a lovely kind of uh, yin-yang twist there. Um, I hate to move back to the On Island story, dear listeners. I really do because it was kind of, boring and well we'll have to anyway um the on island story there's this oddity in it i mean it's odd overall and that it's not super interesting and nothing really happens but the oddity of it is charlie's post-traumatic stress and saeed looking out for him that's what it's set up to be saeed who among them all has has suffered let's say the most uh well, it's a most recognizable post-traumatic stress, you know, as a uh, as uh, somebody who's been involved in war and the horrors of war, and certainly as a torturer has perpetuated the horrors. But um, anyhow, here uh, here's how the show deals with Charlie's Charlie's post-traumatic stress disorder. I got it. You had to check up on me. You killed a man. A man who killed one of us. Who kidnapped Claire? Who strung me up and left me for dead? He deserved to die. I'd do it again in a minute. Pardon me if I'm fresh out of bad feeling. At least just you're not alone. Don't pretend to be. Now, I want to play the, the last little bit of that clip again. I'm going to turn the sound up on it. I want you to listen very, very carefully, and then we're going to discuss uh, together. So take a listen again. You're not alone. Don't pretend to be. So I don't know how clear that was on uh, the second go-round there. But after Saeed says, don't pretend to be, he gets up and walks away. Let's just review here. Review here. Charlie, to, to whatever degree, is dealing with uh, the, the, the reality, the stress, the, uh, 
the psychological ache of having killed someone, the scene starts out with Saeed just sitting there, or I think he maybe he sits down, but he's, he's just watching Charlie. He doesn't sit down and say, hey, man, listen, let me tell you about some of my pain from the first time I killed someone or you know this sort of thing. He just sits down and kind of looks at him, and Charlie kind of monologues about, uh, uh, you know, at the beginning of the, the clip there, monologues about, uh, yeah, everything's okay, of course, you know, of course, I'm a little uh, dinged up, but aren't we all? We're all in the situation. I did what I had to do. Move on. And then a bit later in, in the clip, Saeed says, uh, you know, no, you're not alone. And he stands up. Don't pretend that you are alone. And then he walks away. I mean, that's just the, those are the writers saying, we don't really have too much here. Um, but we want to address this issue uh, to be realistic, which is fair enough. Um, but we don't have to end the scene. So we're just going to have him walk away, right? That's how scenes end. Nobody expects to see uh, Charlie stripping coconuts uh, by himself. Um, I mean, that's boring. Those are the things you cut out in a TV show. In a, in a legal show, uh, you don't see them uh, researching. You, know, you don't spend an entire episode of them researching. You do a little montage. You say, you go research. And then they come back and say, I have found the answer. Similarly, you're not going to see the mundane bits and pieces in a show. We all understand that, but, you know, fine. Um, but we don't know how to, how to end the scene. So how do we end it? We just have a character get up and walk away while telling Charlie that he's not alone. Say so then makes him alone. It's 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 a trite treatment of Charlie's problem. That's what it is. And frankly, it's as though they said that part of the story arc, you know, that this was part of the story arc that needed to be dealt with, you know, Charlie's after effects. But it's like they handed it to some junior writer. Here, you handle these on-island scenes because, boy, we have some great stuff with Sawyer shooting people. Uh, it's just, well, it's a bit of an aggravation, but I suppose every every episode can't be a gem. Um, the The episode starts to wrap up. Moving on. The episode starts to wrap up with Sawyer's killing of the shrimp and truck captain, uh, showing how fundamentally Sawyer was used uh, by Hibbs, a.k.a. the T-1000. Um, the one takeaway from, uh, from Frank Duckett, the shrimp man, uh, the one takeaway from his final words is, it'll come back around. And uh, this is what Sawyer believes he's been hearing in the whispers, as we've uh, already discussed. Um I mean, again, you know, it's this issue uh, with the whispers definitively defined at the end of the show. When Hurley spoke with Michael, is Hibbs on the island? Is it Sawyer's guilt? Um, again, as I as I said at the beginning of the episode, I come down on the notion of real whispers with a healthy helping of Sawyer's guilt uh, uh, back on top of it. Um, the island, st- <laughs> as the episode starts to wrap up, I'm sorry I laugh, but this is another example of just this. The show, uh, in terms of its, um, uh, uh, how should I put this? In terms of its um, story economy, how well it's using its resources, it takes a really cheap, 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 cheap turn at the end. The island story takes a quick detour at the end with Claire on the beach. She's just kind of hanging out on the beach. It allows us to check in, right, in this show with this huge cast this little montage at the end allows us to check in. It's not even a montage. It's from Claire's point of view. We check in with no less than five characters, all as she looks around. It's like, heck, the show says. You don't need to be given dialogue to some of these characters. They just show Jin and Son speaking. 
Jin's holding a net. So, okay, Jin is fishing. He's talking to his wife. Okay, check. Their relationship is improving or holding steady at uh, at some sort of um, uh, you know better situation than we saw when the plane first crashed. Check. We move on to Walt and Vincent playing by the waves. Ah, the boy and his dog, right? They're still in the show. And then Michael talking to Mr. Unnamed Extra, Scott or Steve perhaps, whoever's still alive, building the raft. So again, I mean, it's 30 seconds where we spent kind of, you know, with the on-island story, oh, Charlie's so sad, and Saeed's going to talk to him, and Kate's kind of on the boar hunt, and Locke's going to share a story about, you know, this and that, the other. Well, what about these other characters? Uh, Jin and Son are together. Uh, uh, Walt and Vincent play. Michael builds a raft. I'm sure that those actors were thrilled when they got the script to read the whole thing through. And what do you see? Probably on one page. Claire looks around, sees this, sees that. It's like they must just say, boy, I'm glad I'm getting, at least I'm getting paid for this episode. Um, but it must just be frustrating to be told, uh, you know, yeah, you know, show up. You're going to work one day for this episode. It's a 10-day shoot. You're going you're to work one day on it. So I, you feel for these guys, whether you like them as uh, as characters or even like them as as actors. You, you just I, you feel that they must be sitting around going, you know, boy, oh, boy, what's the what's the future hold for me in, ter- you know, in terms of a working actor? Um, at least the show was still at a point where they had the traditional TV contract. You were signed for a, a season or, you know, for, you, you were signed for whatever period of time, ahead of time, right? You and your agent and the show's producers and whatnot. You sit down and you say, here's the contract. The contract is, I mean, uh, probably for, for season one, it probably was uh, to do the first 13 episodes with an option for the rest of the season. So you say, okay, I'm signed for that. I know I'm making X per episode, um, regards for how much they use me or not but clearly you know actors are not uh lazy people they want to work they want to get their face out there if only because if if this show doesn't work get your face out there to get the next job um so anyhow i got off on a bit of a tangent there at least they were operating under that contract somewhere in season two after they learn the hard way, because when they wanted to kill Shannon off, there was this issue of we're going to kill her off about episode eight of season two, but we don't really want to pay her for the rest of season two, but she's contracted for season two because we need to bring her back for the beginning of season two so we can kill her off. So what do we do? So I know at a certain point in season two, everybody got on board, actors, agents, studio, producers, everybody got on board for a, um, they renegotiated all the contracts and it, for the for the original cast members, it was as I recall, it was forty thousand dollars an episode, but they can kill you at any time. So it was a big pay increase um, because they needed to pay. It resulted from they needed to pay to pay Shannon out. The actress needed to be essentially paid off. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean certainly, you know, I mean she's 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 a working at her craft as well. She deserves to get paid. Um, appropriately and not just be paid a smaller amount to get killed off you know fine blah 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 but anyhow from that point forward the original cast was paid forty thousand dollars an episode with <laughs> with the producers being able to terminate the contract at at any at, you know at any time so certainly my, my point being this in this long-winded discussion of you know, hollywood player contracts 
this business here of, oh, geez, I only show up in the script at the very, very end. I'm sure it's a bit demoralizing, but at least it's not as bad as it would be in future seasons where you'd say, oh, I'm not really showing up in this. Are they just going to kill me off uh, out of the blue? And that's it. Goodbye. Collect your paycheck. Hand in your security ID. Goodbye. Um, anyhow, <laughs> uh, let's get back to this episode, shall we? The episode closes, though with seeds of pessimism and hope in the show. Um, this business of, uh, of uh, it'll why, this is why the Red Sox will never win the World Series, clearly that's a pessimistic outlook uh, that's perpetuated by Christian, which is uh, carried by Jack. However, uh, by the time this episode not only had aired, but also by the time that it was written and put into production, the Red Sox had won the World Series. Um, so it's a very intentional, um, bit of pessimism that actually is hopeful, um, and, and all that surrounds, um, all that surrounds the, uh, the, the, the wonderful fact that the Red Sox won the World Series in 2004. Uh, and to that end, uh, I've blathered on enough. Here is a clip. I made a deal with your girlfriend. What did she give you? Kate, what did she give you? Nothing she wasn't willing to part with. That's why the Sox will never win the series. What's that? Huh? What did you just say? I said that's why the Red Sox will never win the series. What the hell is that supposed to mean? It's just something my father used to say. So I could go through life knowing that people hated him. Instead of taking responsibility for it, he just put it on fate. Said he was made that way. Your daddy. He a doctor too? Was. He's dead. Why do you want to know about my father? Then we have this question as to whether Sawyer will share man to man the fact that he's met Christian. Christian spoke with so much faith and appreciation and love for his son, and we're told... No reason. So it's a, it's a missed opportunity. It's one that's meant to tug at the heartstrings. Uh, it's not a great episode. It has some darn good flashbacks, and uh, those flashbacks certainly pay off at the end of the episode proper, kind of leaving us... We're kind of like left in the lurch, but it's a, it's a good way. It's, we're kind of hanging out there waiting for when... Sawyer does finally uh, finally reveal that, which indeed he does in time. Uh, with that, uh, as I've said before, the, the episode might be over, but our podcast is not. As you might uh, know, as I've said before, I, uh, I oftentimes record a few weeks ahead of when the episodes uh, release. So uh, if you have comments about episodes that you know are upcoming, obviously I'm doing them in sequence and whatnot, uh, feel free to shoot me an email if you want to chat about uh, about an episode that's that's upcoming. And um, if the timing is right, I'll be happy to uh, to share it uh, to share it in the podcast, share our conversation, our email conversation in the podcast. Uh, to that end, a super friend of the show, Bonnie, had uh, shared a really quick thought about this episode. Bonnie said, "I recall Outlaws being a bit of a fluff episode, but the I never seen was endearing." and one that I fondly, fondly associate with season one. Uh, there, I, I certainly, certainly agree that it's a fluff episode. Uh, the on-island stuff absolutely is 
one of these episodes that Lost does from time to time where it's like got to pay the bills or set things up or move things here and move things there, but it's not, you know, uh, it's not one of these, you know, freighter people appear. It's not um, you see the foot. It's not uh, blowing open the hatch, going down on the hatch. It's not, um, it's just kind of a kind of an eh episode. Um with uh, with Bonnie there, I will respectfully disagree about the endearing nature of the eye never seen. Uh, I suppose it's, it's just a matter of taste. Certainly, what that scene has going for it uh, is that it's two broken people, uh, just kind of sharing. Oh, I don't know, sharing their sorrows, and it starts out flirty and it starts out cute, but then it quickly becomes. Oh, a bit of a, a bit of an acknowledgement that that they're fundla- fundamentally messed up people. I mean, maybe they have this future of being better, but they're just fundamentally screwed up with with you know rough, tough, awful pasts. Um, if that admission to each other is endearing, I, I certainly would uh, grudgingly uh, grudgingly agree with uh, friend of the show Bonnie. Uh, with that. Let me take a look at Lostpedia to see whatever bits and pieces I have missed. Uh, It was a bit scant on interesting production notes or trivia, but they do say Sawyer's first name is revealed to be James when he is talking with Frank Duckett at the shrimp stand. So this is the first time that we find out that it's James. Uh, And this episode also marks the first appearance of the raft, uh, shown, albeit in that quick uh, little Claire-centered montage as we get to see, you know, 18,000 members of the cast quickly uh, giving us a quick little update there. Uh, With that, let's look ahead to next week. Episode 117 is entitled, in translation, that pause there was the the ellipsis, the dot, 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 so that way we can say it's lost in translation. Uh, They're they're getting a bit cute there. Anyhow, in translation is a Jin flashback episode. Uh, As I recall, it certainly is interestingly... um, well, it's interestingly crafted because it's the uh, it's the the sun flashback from the point of view of Jin. So we kind of get lots of lovely crisscrossing uh, of paths and this sort of thing. So it's uh, it's a fun episode. A reminder too that new episodes hit the website on Friday, iTunes on Saturday, and the Lost Podcasting Network over the weekend. I uh, always enjoy hearing back from people. Uh, you can say hello to me on Twitter, where I am looking back lost. You can send an email uh, or record a voice message or get in touch with me about doing an episode summary and email all that. Um, I, the email is lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. Lookingbackatlost is all spelled out, and of course, all one word. Uh, the webpage is lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And you can find the podcast on iTunes. You can give it a star rating. Uh, you can give it, leave it a written review. And um, that, as they say, is that. Thank you, dear listeners, uh, for listening yet again. And uh, I look forward to joining you all again very, very shortly for episode 117 in translation next week. Take care and bye-bye. Sox will never win the series. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. It has a celebration here in St. Louis. 
throughout New England and for Red Sox fans around the world. The Red Sox win the World Series, win game four tonight, 3-0. More in a moment. That's why the Sox will never win the series.